finding a better way to be okay with someone else having a different like uh, political background than you and even being able to engage in those conversations while still being able to have the end goal be the gospel mm -hmm. uh, is super important for individuals to figure out. I don't mean to say that we should be uncritical mm -hmm. of what's going on around Absolutely. us. I think that people will sell their faith out to a political position. Mm -hmm. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Things You Don't Hear in Church podcast. My name is Ethan. And my name is Derek. And guys, if you don't go like, subscribe, comment, and share this podcast with everyone you know, then honestly, I don't know what, what's going on because this is We're gonna top, have to have a top tier podcast of 2023. That was verified by a magazine. By a magazine. A magazine. Don't ask which one because it doesn't exist. But in all seriousness, we want to reach the world of Christ. We need you guys to help to do it. We appreciate the love and support that you've shown us thus far. And we actually just passed four years of podcasting. Oh, like, yeah, the other day. Two weeks ago. We realized that like after we posted, we're like, oh, wait, today's our birthday. <laughs> like, <laughs> look at that. I um, literally, I got a picture from my Google, uh, my Google photos. It was like four years ago. And it was, oh, no, it was you. You got the picture? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was like a picture of us uh, like in the studio or. Yeah, we took a what was picture it? during the pilot episode, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 or something yeah. like that. So. It's exciting. We're here. We love it. Um, we love the all, all the interactions we've been able to have, mm -hmm. which brings us to our next point. The uh, the guests that we've been able to have on have been mm. amazing. And yeah. speaking of guests we've been able to have on. Yeah, we've been ha able to have a couple different people who are engaged. And engaged. our last episode was with someone who is freshly engaged uh, with Tate. And now today we have someone returning, coming on the show. And this time they're engaged. It seems like there's a trend. So if you're yeah. single <laughs> and you like to talk about theology, <laughs> I would recommend coming on the show. Because Pro dating advice. Come on our podcast. Yeah, because <laughs> people are getting engaged to come By on the, the show. second time you come on the podcast, you will have getting married soon. We got contact like Colby and Hunter and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, guys, how's it, how's it been going? <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, guys, today, returning on the show, we have John San Nicholas, uh, awesome guy. Again, uh, like like we said last time, he's a TikToker. Um, he's in school right now. He's studying um, philosophy and religious studies, mm -hmm. um, getting his mm -hmm. degree. Um, we really like his videos that he puts out. Um, yeah. Lots of them on theology, social topics, how the Bible interacts with society. Last time we had him on for unity in the church. And at that time, we had really been talking a lot about unity with different streams of Christianity and how there can be unity between like Orthodox, high church, Catholic, Protestants, all that kind of stuff. And we think we had a really great episode uh, where uh, John proposed a theory about how our doctrine and our arguments might uh, give us less evidence for why we should be unified than our actions do. Um, sort of like a scholar versus a saint kind of mentality, um, which I thought was really good. Um, so with that, John, welcome back on the show. Is there anything else you want to plug for yourself? Um, I think that's about it for now. Yeah, but thank you, Ethan and Derry. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to see y'all, interact with y'all. Um, and yeah, thank you for having me on the show once again. Um, yeah, so last time we kind of talked about this uh, idea that I've been trying to formulate that I call transformation theory. Um, and this was sort of done through um, a research project that I had the blessing of conducting through a couple of fellowships at my university. Um, and so basically the gist, like you said, is that instead of viewing like which doctrines that we share with each other, which that is important, right? Mm. We can't push doctrine aside. We Absolutely. have to see how our doctrines are being used by the spirit to make it more like Christ in mm. similar and complementary ways. Mm. Um, so kind of, you know, reflecting on ourselves, like how, how are the truths that I hold to making me more like Christ? And then how, 
are the truths that my neighbor holds to, even if they differ from mine, are leading them to be like Christ in uh, in similar ways and different ways. Hmm. Um, and I'm just learning how we how we become the body of Christ. Um, but yeah, I, I wrapped up that research project um, this past at the beginning of the summer, actually. Wow. And it's now, I think, 124 page thesis. Wow. Now. So That's awesome. I've been, yeah, I've been I've been trying to get that out to people to sort of, you know, engage with it. Um, hmm. And then, you know, uh, I was able to to come on here to talk a little bit about it. And then, um, yeah, I've had a couple of other opportunities. But yeah, I mean, I, our, our listeners can probably tell from the from the title today we're going to be talking about uh, politics, right? And so I, I thought it would be interesting to see like, well, how, how what if, what would happen if we merged the, the concepts of unity with how we should engage in politics? Hmm. Uh, so that's that's sort of what I have had in mind to, to bring to the table today. Fascinating, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you get a good grade on your thesis? <laughs> uh, well, actually, it actually wasn't for a grade. Um, it was- oh, it was for so, fun. Like, it, was, <laughs> um, it was for credit. So maybe, maybe you hmm. can say it was a great, um, but yeah, I, it, cause you know, the fellowship wants you to like submit a, a report of the research you've done. Hmm. And so I wrote out the whole report. And so that was the thesis. So they didn't really grade it or anything, um, but it was like funded and I was able to present it at a, at a conference. Wow. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say it was, it was pretty good. Yeah. That's awesome. That sounds super cool yeah. just to be able to write something and then even present it in front of a group of people and make it that's like like low-key goals right there you know i haven't gotten to do that for my undergrad i don't know why i haven't i haven't the heck i haven't i didn't get to do it for the associates i never went for either <laughs> i guess you should probably go to if you wanted those opportunities i guess you could go to school yeah that really sounds like a master's <laughs> assignment to be honest it was pretty pretty big um yeah. the last the last day that i was working on the thesis I spent, I think it was like 12 hours straight in the day wow. at my computer, writing, proofreading, making sure it all made sense. <laughs> That's and awesome. then I had to turn it in. Wow. That's always the most nerve wracking thing. Like every time I'm about to submit an assignment, because I'm currently in school too, I'm like, I know I read this a couple of times, but I'm sure <laughs> there's something wrong I'm not going to catch. And it's just Grammarly didn't catch it either for some reason. Yeah. To be honest, in one of the classes I took, I uh, just when I would write stuff, I'd be like, that's ah, I wouldn't proofread. I'd, I'd, re I'd type the whole thing one draft. I'd be like, skim it through for, for problems like, ah, there's nothing there. It's fine. Submit. <laughs> I'm like, this is I, I'm like if you're getting the idea of what I'm saying, I'm less concerned about the grammatical correctness of the idea hmm. because this is like one class. I only took the college class so I could access the my inheritance that my grandma left me that I can only use for college. Hmm. So like, I can't. and if you're the government, he's joking. Yeah. Yeah. If you come after me, I also, I don't think it's illegal. I did go to school and use oh, that's true, the guess, money yeah. for the things I said I was using it to do, to do school. Yeah. yeah. It's just that the computer I bought also does so much more than just school. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so John, you said that you had uh, a couple different things that kind of stemmed from this thesis that you created. Um, one that was really interesting that I'm interested to hear about. Uh, that was on abortion, I believe. Um, and then after that, we'll get into politics. Uh, but do you want to segue into that at all? Man, we're hitting all the topics today, abortion and politics. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So one of my advisors on the on the thesis, or one of my mentors in general, um, is actually very involved in the Presbyterian Church and mm. uh, the mainline Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And after I completed the thesis after the conference, he invited me to give a talk at that church. 
And so uh, Presbyterian Church America, so PCA, that's like yeah. the, the main church. And so for those of you um, who are not familiar with that terminology, there's broadly evangelical Christians and mainline Christians. And so the main difference is that we are different in how we approach the scriptures and how we approach church history. Evangelicals tend to want to be more strict with it, while mainline people are more liberal with it. So they, they're more free mm. with it. Um, but then also, if you're theologically conservative, now you tend to be politically conservative. And if you're mm. theologically liberal, like mainline Christians, you tend to be politically liberal. I noticed that so, a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was going into this uh, talk expecting people to be pretty liberal. And so um, I wanted to sort of, you know, use transformation theory um, to kind of, you know, show them the evangelical case, you know, an evangelical mm -hmm. voice for, you know, our approach to abortion um, and sort of, you know, see how they thought of it from a liberal stance. But actually, mm -hmm. as it turned out, the people in that congregation were very, very mixed. Mm -hmm. um, there were, you know, from very, very pro-life to pretty pro-choice, hmm. um, which is something that I don't think a lot of us, I know for me personally, uh, my former church would probably would not have had any diversity when it came to abortion, right? right. It would have been like, you have to be pro-life. And it was even a, a test of faith, right? If you're pro-choice, hmm. you can't be a Christian. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I went into that, that talk and I sort of, I sort of laid out this, this argument that, you know, whenever we're addressing our disagreements, which as we approach the next presidential election, it's becoming increasingly important that we equip ourselves to navigate our disagreements with brothers and mm. sisters in Christ. Um, whenever we consider those disagreements, we can't just relegate ourselves to theological disagreements per se. Mm. Um, there, there were two books in 2020 that came out by Baptist theologians. One was by, um, Let's see if I can remember, remember his name, Gavin Ortland, and the other one was by Ryan R. Putman. Mm. And these two books were basically addressing theological division and dis disagreement. Mm. But what's interesting is that in both of those books, they bracketed social and political and cultural disagreements. And they said, mm. we just have to focus on theological disagreements. Um, and something that was, that was shocking is that Ortland wrote that abortion is a social issue, not a theological issue. Mm. Um, which I mean, for me, because I, 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 I'd like to, to hear your guys' thoughts on this. For me, abortion is a very theological issue, yeah. right? It concerns questions of like, well, when does life start, right? Not, not just a scientific question of when does life start, but when does God say life starts, mm. right? When is, when is life valued by God, the maker, right? Mm. And then also like, what are, you know, what do, what are we to say about the quality of life, right? Even after you are born, What's our responsibility as Christians to help people who are born into families that would have otherwise not had them, which mm. is very serious, right? Mm. Uh, families who are impoverished, who don't have the resources to be families in the, in the best sense. Um, and so these, for me at least, they, these were very theological issues. Mm. And so I, I went into that talk saying that, you know, we don't, we, we can't just relegate ourselves to theological issues like, you know, does God predestine us to hell or does he give us the, the right to choose, mm. you know? You have to think of all of our disagreements if we are really to to address church unity in a good way. Um, but yeah, actually, real quick, what what, what do you all think of, of abortion as a theological issue, or or have you seen that happen before, where people kind of bracket out the political mm. issues and say, let's just focus on theology? Yeah, it's interesting because when people say, oh, it's not a theological issue, it's a social issue, or it's a this issue, it's hard 
to do that as a Christian because you have a Christian, as a Christian, you have a Christian worldview. And therefore, you view the world through your interpretation of the Bible, ideally the correct interpretation of the Bible, because I don't agree that all interpretations are valid because the Bible says that, you know, false teachers will arise and they'll twist scripture, right? So you have to have like the most correct view of scripture that you and your heart before God can have and filter the world through that. So it's hard to say anything is devoid from a theological implication if we're thinking about like, okay, I'm a Christian. I look at the world through how the Bible says mm-hmm. I should look at the world because that's the authority. And so it's hard to, to yeah, separate things from a theological worldview because your theology informs, at least for me, informs my politics, social I guess maybe views. I can ask a clarifying question. Yeah. Did Gavin uh, explain it just like um, modesty or something? Like to me, modesty is a social issue. Like all Christians have to be modest because this is what the Bible yeah. says. Yeah. But like modesty is a spectrum and changes per culture. True, um, true. So was that like what he was saying more? He didn't explain it per se, mm. but maybe to give a bigger, um, or not bigger, uh, maybe to give more context, he also mentions that marriage and like issues in schooling mm. are social and political issues, not theological issues. Mm. Oh, wow. I, which, I, yeah, to me, that brings to mind the idea that like marriage as it's currently debated right now is not a theological issue. Which for me, that's like, no, like Paul says that that's an image of Christ in the church. Right. Like that's right. Christology. Right. I really respect Gavin. Like he's from my town. He's like the pastor of a church in my town. And I love his books and his podcast and or not his podcast, his YouTube channel. Uh, but I never heard him say stuff like that. So I would, I'd love to read that book and like hear the context around, around it. Um, in my own personal opinion, it's hard to say about abortion because I think the Bible says a couple different things about it. Like there's, if you just listen to debates where Christians talk about um, what the Bible says about when life starts, there's a couple different uh, verses where um, it says that life like was breathed once the person was born. And then a few other ones about like, you know, of course, like where the Lord knew us when we were in our mother's womb and all that kind of stuff. And so there's just kind of confusing language around it. And also the imagery used can be interpreted in non-literal ways. Um, so I see where some people are coming from um, while I'm still like totally pro-life, pro-baby, whatever you like, pro-baby, whatever you call it. That's a lot of people are calling it now. They call it pro-ba- pro-baby. pro-baby. Um, also pro-baby Tate. Check out our last episode. Pro-baby Tate. Two episodes pro-baby Tate. <laughs> um, I think right now that it's a philo- or that it's a, a theological issue, but it's totally a social issue too. Um, so I'd love to hear his, his arguments behind that. Yeah. It's kind of like. Well, a thing I was thinking about, if people want to interpret scripture to kind of defend being pro-choice, it's, I I think also you can look at just science as well. Like the fact Mm. that a new strand of DNA that's, that's different from the mother has been created at conception. Right. And then I I was listening earlier today. I was, I saw a little clip on YouTube shorts of destiny talking about how, oh, it's when like consciousness starts and when there's consciousness. So he says like, he calls them future persons. If you let them become persons, they'll become conscious, they'll become future persons. And I think that's kind of a hard case to make that like consciousness is what makes them a human and a valid life is because like people are and in comas, you could say, like are not necessarily conscious in the way that 
that we are or people who are maybe brain dead or, or something like that are not conscious, but they're still there. Hmm. They still have personhood regardless of... It'd be a biological argument though, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's so much more that goes into it than just like, what does the Bible say and is it social or not? Because hmm. it, But it also the Bible says like, do not murder. So that's like, hmm. you know, and that's obviously the implication that this thing is murder mm. where they would say it's not murder because it's not a person and then yeah. the conversation continues but in short i think we would say it's theological mm. the verse i was referencing is in genesis 1 i just looked it up um i knew it was in genesis i just couldn't remember where it was um and it says that adam isn't considered a man in the hebrew until huh. god breathes into him like it says that he was formed but he wasn't a man until god breathed and so some people will take the position that we don't become human beings or have souls until we take our first breath which is interesting. So I had to get my B real in there. I'm not going to be late. <laughs> You're addicted. <laughs> what do you think about that, John? Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, well, I, I kind of wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't really approaching the talk as like a, a debate. Like, let's see mm -hmm. how our arguments can like battle against each other. Mm -hmm. um, but rather like how Christians who land on either side of the abortion debate can on the one hand, find common ground hmm. because we always like to, to search for common ground. Right? right. But secondly, to the body of Christ when it comes to approaching hmm. abortion. Um, hmm. And so I guess I'll break that down uh, one point than the other. Um, the common ground is that our ethical foundations are pretty universal. Um, hmm. I, I don't think that any Christian pro-choicer or any pro-choicer except for the very extreme ones would say that they're pro-abortion. Um, because as Christians, whenever we think of like how the world should be, we think of it as term in terms of like how it compares to God's kingdom, right? Um, going back to the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus says, "Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven." That's what we want, right? For God's will to be done on earth as in heaven. Sure. We all know that if God's will were to be done on earth as in heaven, there would be no abortion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And as the fact stands, that abortion is a horrible thing. Like it's bad. It's tragic. Uh, and, and, you know, Christians who are in the mainline often get misrepresented by saying that they're pro-abortion, hmm. um, when in reality, like they will discourage their members from, from choosing abortion, mm -hmm. especially when you go as, as the pregnancy progresses. Right. And so I started off by saying, you know, like going back to the early patristic era, um, and this is a bit of trivia. There was, a, there was one of the early apologists named Athenagoras who was alive mm -hmm. during the early patristic era. And at the time, Christians were being accused by outsiders of being cannibals because we were celebrating the Lord's Supper, right? We said that we were eating the, the blood and body of Christ. And so that was misinterpreted to say, oh, well, these Christians are cannibals. Hmm. Athenagoras says, no, 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 that's not, a, that's not it at all. In fact, we have such a high view of life that we will not permit abortions within our community, hmm. right? And so even from the start of being pro-life was very integral to being Christian, especially when it came to defending ourselves against false allegations from the Greco-Roman culture, hmm. right? And so that's the common ground, right? But then I also appeal to, well, like, how are our differences helping us to become the body of Christ? Like, what's hmm. the potential for collaboration here? Um, and, you know, I shared how there are definitely problems with both sides. I think more so with pro-choice than for pro-life. Hmm. Um, in pro-choice, you risk valuing the liberty of the woman and just totally disregarding the life of the child. Hmm. Um, which is, it's horrible, right? It's reprehensible mm -hmm. from a Christian worldview. But on the pro-life pro side, sometimes you get so honed in on being pro-life 
that you end up being solely anti-abortion. Hmm. If that, yeah. right. You want that baby to be born, but as soon as that baby is born, good luck. Right? Yeah, who's taking Just, care of it? Right. Yeah, who's taking care of it? Right. And that's, yeah. that's kind of also antithetical to what Christians have stood for. Right. And Eusebius's history of the church, he talks about how, you know, whenever, whenever uh, the Gentiles would throw babies, you know, into the river or alongside the river, it was the Christians who would pick them up, right? Wow. If it was awesome. just anti-abortion, if we were just anti-abortion, we would just leave those babies there. But no, we're not just anti-abortion, we're pro-life, right? Hmm. And so sometimes in being pro-life, we forget our values and what they call us to, hmm. right? Hmm. So, so basically what I, what I told the, the group was that, you know, we have, we have a, a similarity, right? We both value life, hmm. but we also can go about this in different and complementary ways, right? On the pro-life side, we've seen a lot of amazing stories of people who actually offer mothers who cannot afford to care for their children to adopt that child, hmm. right? Or even to, um, you know, allow that mother to stay with them if, if she doesn't have any options for housing. We've also created organizations that give resources to help people parent, right? Hmm. And so these are radical acts of generosity that are truly pro-life, right? Hmm. On the pro-choice side, they, they actually see like the, the sort of bigger picture of, of the things that lead to abortion. Mm. And, and in my videos, I make the point often that we cannot ban abortion unless we make it unnecessary. Mm. And when we talk about making abortion unnecessary, we're talking about political issues, right? People get abortions because they don't see any other way. Mm. Not because there is no other way in reality, but because they see that there is no other way. Yeah. Is, that is, there, is there stats or studies done about like, the percentage of abortions done primarily because the reason is I just don't want to have a kid. Cause I would imagine with that statement you just said, it seems like you're implying that majority of abortions happen because there's not a lot of resources to help the mother or they are like, what am I going to do for a job? I'm going to have to quit my job. I'm going to have to take mm -hmm. off. Like I can't afford school. I can't afford healthcare. So there, they have no other options, which is where it gets political. Like how do we yeah. have better social reform? Right. So is there like, statistics to to show how much percent is based on like just purely like ah, i don't just don't want the kid or 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 something like that does that make sense i'd encourage people to look it up i haven't looked it and mm. looked into it myself but i have found that policies which make um like sexual education mm. better contraceptives more accessible mm -hmm. um just better economic equity those are the things that decrease the abortion rate right now it I don't know if that decreases the number of abortions, but it does decrease the rate, decrease the rate at which it happens. Yeah, I've heard right? that too. And so that sort of stuff does, like that's a reality, right? Mm. We can make abortion unnecessary. So my, my main argument was that through our different beliefs, we are actually being led in complementary ways to approach this issue as, as Christians, right? Because we can't, no one can do it all, right? We can't, on the one hand, like, um advocate for the life of the unborn and like house mothers who can't raise their children and like provide economic equity and make contraceptives more more accessible mm -hmm. and make sexual like we can't make we can't do it all right mm -hmm. that's why we need each other mm -hmm. and that's why political differences we can actually accomplish something together mm. right and so instead of getting caught up on um, accusing you know pro-choicers of, of being pro-abortion and instead of pro-choicers looking down on and condescending pro-life christians mm. We have to be the body of Christ. And that was the main, the main argument of, of the talk there, mm -hmm. um, which course, I think now is kind of impossible, but I think that there's a kernel of possibility mm. in which we can actually collaborate even on political differences. Mm. And I, I think that the beauty in that is that 
no, no other or very few other groups of people can actually collaborate with each other on political differences, hmm. right? Mm, uh, interesting. I remember okay. in, yeah, I, re I remember in 2020, right? People would block you if you disagreed with them yeah. on a social issue, yeah. right? People just don't want to talk with people they disagree with. But one of the fruits of the spirit that I think that the church can exhibit is that by the power of God, we can work together across political differences. Like it's only because God is with us that we can do that. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I think, yeah. I think that we shouldn't resist that by accepting and buying into polarization, hmm. but rather we should, we should embrace being the body of Christ, embrace being different and having different roles, but hmm. acting as the same body. Um, so that, that was kind of what sort of led me to apply transformation theory. Like look at, look at how you're being transformed by your position uh, to sort of like conceptualize how we can have unity even among, like even across political lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like there's a house burning down and you could argue who, who caused the fire, but the bigger issue is, well, let's just put the fire out and handle like who did what later. Like right now there's, a fire and a house let's put it out first and then discuss everything else later whereas like and that's what you're saying christians can do christians can say like oh my gosh there's this big problem okay let's work for helping young mothers let's work for like because i've seen that in, in churches too where a young family has a kid and they're like maybe they're not in a place where they can financially take care of all their needs or or they don't have a lot of energy or time to like make food so the church does like the food train i think it's called or whatever they just a bunch of families volunteer to make a bunch of different meals and for like six months they have every meal they need it's just like you freeze them and then you cook them up which is like a, a small image of the body of christ coming together to help in that situation and yeah you're like you're saying we can reach across theological viewpoints hmm. to hold hands and helping yeah, yeah helping each other and and that is i love what you said like it's the spirit of christ that unifies us so anything else that divides other people it doesn't divide us it would actually be a place for us to be like look let's talk about that later but we know the work of the kingdom is to help the orphans and widows so let's go help mm. the orphans and widows are what you're kind of saying like or sorry is what you're kind of saying that most people when we think about this divide immediately go to oh my gosh this person's not a christian i need to have nothing to do with them when in reality that should be like besides the point whether or not like their like salvation is intact or not and we can have those debates all the time but really uniting and coming together so we can get something done outside of like the person having the correct doctrine yeah yeah i, I would say that and I, I don't mean to say that we should be uncritical mm. of what's going on around Absolutely. us i think that people will sell their faith out to a political position mm. and this happens both on the left and on the right right yeah. um because the, the, the main idea behind transformation theory is like recognizing that there are moments in your life where you see like parts of Jesus and someone else that you disagree with theologically and that you have to take that seriously. Right. Like I remember in, in the last episode, we were talking about this, like, well, what happens if you meet a Mormon who you think is exhibiting that journey of transformation to become more like Christ? Yeah. Right. Even if they disagree with you now, like if God is truly working within them, mm -hmm. they will be led to the truth. Yeah. Right. They will be led to the right doctrines. The same thing happens with political division, right? And maybe it would be condescending to say that, you know, well, eventually they'll get to the truth. Hmm. I think we should bracket that for politics. Hmm. But rather that if you're a Republican and you see a Christian who's a Democrat, who is truly like living a life in faithfulness to Jesus, take that seriously, right? Like, don't just say that, oh, well, you're a Democrat, so you can't be Christian. Like, don't let <laughs> right. that 
don't let that separate you. Don't let that be the thing that separates you. Mm -hmm. Let the spirit, let the spirit guide you in discernment. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about a liberal Christian who is truly not like you don't see that fruit in them. I'm not asking you to uh, gaslight yourself or delude yourself into saying, oh, like I have to accept everyone who says they're Christian as Christian. Like this is for the people who you are living life with, who you see are committed to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I'm not saying that we should be uncritical, but that whenever we recognize that transformation happening, we have to take it seriously. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's I'm always reminded of how Jesus called a zealot to follow him and a tax collector. And as far as like, if you don't understand the context of those days, they're like mortal enemies. Yeah, literally. You enemies. know, it's like the, the zealot was like, the equivalent of a terrorist trying to overthrow like the government cause a civil war, liberate Israel. And the tax collector was like the sellout who works for the oppressive government to oppress mm-hmm. his own people. Mm-hmm. So you got someone's like, I will violently like free my people. And the other guys is like, I'm going to take advantage of my people. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus calls both to follow him. And like, we're talking about the thing that unifies them is the mission of God. And, mm. and kind of going back to, or reflecting back on what we talked about in the the other podcast, Darian and I did about, does Jesus care about politics? It's not that Jesus doesn't care about politics is that it's that he calls us out of our political silos and into the kingdom of God. Mm. And that's where we find commonality. It's not like, you know, you're not a Republican or Democrat, conservative, liberal before you're a Christian, mm-hmm. you're a civilian in the kingdom of God following Jesus and you have, and, and so is the person in the other political world. And you're mm-hmm. both being reformed in your thinking to look more like Jesus yeah. for the conservative or the, or the, maybe the more alt-right conservative for them, the kingdom of God taking effect in their life looks like being open to more social reform and figuring out how to get like healthcare available to everybody, regardless of if you can't afford it or, or whatnot, you know, heresy. and what's that heresy, that's heresy, apparently just kidding. <laughs> and for, for, um, maybe the liberal there there's another thing in which the lord is working on to bring them like hey you you, you like, can own on. guns <laughs> you can't own guns <laughs> it's all funny um, those are not equal sum values but also heresy <laughs> just kidding you can own guns just yeah, don't I, hurt people with them that's all funny that's awesome yeah i i also wanted to yeah to get kind of more talking about politics yeah. as itself I'm just thinking about abortion, but like thinking about politics in general. Mm. Um, this is something that came to mind a couple of days ago. Um, you know, after the Republican presidential debates, I saw a little bit of discourse from content creators, Christian content creators, saying that uh, we need to keep politics second and the gospel first. Mm. Um, and then we also have language like kind of what you guys had in the title of like Jesus is uninterested in politics. Mm. Or um, other people will say that like social issues are not gospel issues. Mm-hmm. And I think that the reason and why, and there's, I think there's multiple reasons, but I think the reason why we adopt this sort of discourse is because we're afraid of generalizing or offering a one size fits all approach to politics for Christians. Mm-hmm. Cause anytime that we do that, yeah. uh, things end up very badly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's when we, when we get dogmatic of like, oh, if you have, if you, have, if you, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be political in this way and this way alone. Yeah. I think that that's why we've sort of adopted that rhetoric. Um, and kind of what I wanted to bring to the table is, is, is two things. Um, again, one is that instead of saying that politics comes second, the gospel comes first, 
or instead of saying that you know these are social issues versus the gospel issue um i think that this this allows us to say yes but to various things hmm. like yes this is important but let's focus on the gospel hmm. um this is kind of the same thing that happens with like the non-essential essential doctrines distinction that we talked about in the last episode hmm. like a lot of times I've, I've gone up to pastors to you know debate some point of theology but they end the conversation by saying this is a non-essential issue hmm. right but you know i still wanted to talk about it it's still yeah. okay to talk about yeah, it. yeah it's still fun um, to debate tell me what you think yeah, and the same thing can happen with politics, that whenever Christians talk about politics, it's like, well, that gets silenced pretty easily by saying, let's keep the gospel first, hmm. or, uh, you know, let's focus on the gospel, yeah. um, which is, is true in a sense, right? Like, I, I think we do need to keep it in perspective, but we need to find a way that doesn't allow or a way that doesn't stop politics from entering into the conversation ever. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and the, the way that I sort of propose is to instead say that Jesus reframes our political approach. Mm -hmm. He is the lens through which we view politics. Mm. Yeah. Um, and this means a variety of things, which I'm still trying to flesh out. Right. The first one has to do with time. Right. Politics is temporal. Uh, earthly politics are temporal. Kingdom politics are mm. eternal. Mm. Right. Uh, the second one has to do with space. Right. We cannot treat a nation as our home because we're citizens of heaven, hmm. right? And so Jesus reframes our approach to politics, but it, it, we're still political creatures, right? We, we are still creatures that exist in association with each other, in community with each other, and we still have these things called laws and policies and government hmm. that we cannot afford to disengage with, right? Yeah, We can't avoid it. It's like how we say, you know, we have to be... We're, we're not of the world, but we are in it, hmm. right? Same thing goes with politics, and we can't just brush it off to the side. Um, the second thing, though, is that uh, you know, a, big, a big part of transformation theory is that it's the spirit who's working through our um, opinions, beliefs, positions hmm. to make us into different members of the body of Christ. And so if you believe differently, you're going to end up doing different things. And so it's actually... Theological diversity is what the spirit uses to make us focus on different aspects of the Christian way, right? Like I'm sure that if you're an evangelist, like on the road evangelist, you probably don't think the same way as someone who's serving like in a home, homeless ministry, hmm. right? One has more focus on like evangelism. The other has more focus on service. Hmm. Um, same thing goes for like someone who is, I'm trying to think of like examples on the go. Uh, someone who is working with like divorce care right they probably emphasize marriage more or or healing more, right like we have different beliefs that lead us to live our lives in in christian different christian ways mm. which is good right uh the spirit uses that yeah but when it comes to politics for some reason we assume that there has to be one like the way to do politics mm. i think that we have to recognize that there are actually part like part of being in the body of christ is to do politics in different ways mm. There is no one size fits all. Um, and I think that once we recognize that, then we'll be more comfortable with talking about politics because we're so concerned about finding the right way hmm. that we just don't, we never get around to doing it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's always like such a uh, divisive topic in the church. And anyway, people can find unity. I think it's going to be good because I think the, like you said, the number one solution most of the time is like, guys, not a gospel issue. Let's not talk about it in church. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's shut down just like a lot of theological conversations are shut down. And so finding uh, a better way to be okay with someone else having a different 
like uh, political background than you and even being able to engage in those conversations while still being able to have the end goal be the gospel mm -hmm. um, is super important for individuals to figure out, right? Because yeah. I don't want to lose friends on Facebook like in a year. I already lost them. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to do that again. Mm -hmm. I, not again. I didn't say it. I didn't lose it last time. But because I, <laughs> I didn't talk about it ever. But I didn't talk about it because I'm afraid to lose friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I know people aren't going to have this perspective. Right. And the thing about... The thing that I don't like when people say, oh, it's not a gospel issue, let's not talk about it, or like it's not an essential doctrine, let's not talk about it, is like you said, you're shutting down or you're discouraging conversations on politics. And what essentially is happening is you're discouraging Christian discourse on political issues. And if Christians are not going to show Christians, especially the older, more mature Christians, if older, more mature Christians oh, are wow. not going to show young Christians how to think about oh, and yeah. conversate about politics, they're going to learn it from non-Christian sources, which is going to be way less tolerant in how they approach a conversation. And then you, and then you have this cycle where we're at, where people are like, oh, let's just not talk about it because everyone knows it gets really triggering really fast and so people don't want to talk about it because it gets so triggering but maybe got so triggering because no one was talking about it in a mature way or mature context mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. like and, and it's just like there's there's teaching that's happening more than just like the political thing there there's you're teaching people how to engage with another human being on a deep issue yeah you know that's interesting mm -hmm. yeah that's really good i wanted to that that's incredibly i think people really need to hear that that we don't have role models to talk about politics so we turn to the world hmm. i think that's 100 true i think whenever we talk about politics we are speaking on the world's terms rather than creating our own terms mm -hmm. right like if someone if someone offers any sort of like social or systemic topic in church we use worldly terms right we say that's a liberal talking point hmm. right or whenever liberal christians you know talk about evangelical christians who just so happen to follow on the on the right they call them Christian nationalists. Mm. Like that's a worldly term, yeah. right? We're, we're allowing ourselves to be so complacent in politics that is essentially we're allowing the world to speak for us, to set the terms of debate for mm. us. Yeah. Um, and, and my big thing is that we have to reject that. Like we have to be Christians and the world is not like the world's terms, the categories, right? The, the political parties, they're, they're not designed for that, right? Those mm. parties are designed to pit people against each other. They're, they're designed to polarize mm. people. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the church, on the other hand, is designed to unify people across ethnicity and race and class and sex, right? And th these are like two very different things, right? And so, yeah, I just I just wanted to, but yeah, go go ahead. That was that was really cool. Oh yeah, no, that was kind of like the end of the point was just like, it's so they're gonna learn this conversation from someone. Yeah. So let's have the conversation. It's just kind of like like sex and purity culture, right? Exactly. Like, don't talk about it and it won't be a problem and it turned out to be way bigger of a problem because they didn't talk about it. And guess what? Tons of young people leave churches when they go to college because they stopped going to church with their parents because they went to college and not high school. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, why are young people not coming to the church? Well, probably because the things that they're yearning for, the church is not giving them because we're just trying to like, well, just focus on the gospel or just focus on this or just mm -hmm. pray about it. That's the whole reason we started this podcast is because we want to be a place where people can ask these questions and, and see Christian discourse on it. And like Derry and I have arguments live on the podcast at times about different issues and we disagree on things. And, and it's like, and we, we like, we're just like, ah, oh, whatever we disagree, let's move on. You know? And there's like, there, there, even in that where some people have reached out and said like, Hey, next time stop arguing on the podcast is like taken away from the content. And I'm like, ah, I think it's teaching people things, you know?
but like there, there needs said to be they liked it when, when mature I, what's that i said people that i talked to said they liked it <laughs> yeah there needs to be mature mature examples of godly discourse yeah through disagreement yeah and the thing that really needs i think to change in the church is we mentioned at the beginning right it's not in my opinion it's not the pastor telling you this is what you must believe politically right because i think that is oppressive i met a guy at evangelism a couple weeks ago and uh he was like used to go to church i'm still a christian but i went to this church and they were super super like republican he's like and i'm not a republican and he's like so i stopped going to the church after a while because i just couldn't tolerate it anymore because all the pastor would talk about was politics yeah and he wouldn't talk about the bible and he's like so the next church i went to same thing happened and they kept talking about politics um and it was during like a, a very politically charged time like mm -hmm. during covid and stuff um and he's like i just wanted to get taught about the bible because he was i think it was recently new to faith or okay. like getting back into it okay um and he's like so now i just don't go to church because like all churches I care about that I've been to is like their politics and Donald Trump. And so now I'm like, I'm not interested. Wow, that's in so interesting. I've I've heard people I've I know of churches who people stopped going to the churches because the pastor didn't talk about the political. Absolutely, issues. Yeah, I've heard that too. And they were like trying to do like, let's just talk about this nice thing. And they're like, no, but there's this big social like political thing happening. We need guidance. Mm -hmm. Shepherd us. And the pastor's like, I just don't want to offend you guys. No, yeah. that's not why. I don't actually know why. But what I think know. we need, though, is not like a, a dictator telling you this is what the Bible says. This is what you must believe. Mm -hmm. So what the Catholic Church does. Sorry, Tate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, like that's that's not what I think we need. We need discourse mm -hmm. and we need people to be discipled, uh, not just like told what to do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That way, when you're in a church, you can have a differing political opinion than somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But because the pastor's not telling, telling you you have to believe this way, the pastor can tell you what he thinks, like politically. Yeah. I think that would be okay. Yeah. But like people can have individual beliefs and then we can learn how to have good discussions that don't uh, like take away from our unity within the church yeah. so that we're not just only learning from outside of the church. Yeah. Man, how cool would it be, guys, if there was a church that was like talk, trying to teach people like how to have discourse about it and like brought up two respected church leaders in the community who had a differing opinion and just let them talk on crazy. stage. And then like the congregation oh, yeah. can be like, I agree, tithe to that guy or tithe. To <laughs> I'm, just kidding, I'm just kidding. Not that tithing part. But like then people would be able to like watch, okay, this is how they're communicating. Mm. And then now I know when I'm talking to my friend at the small group that disagrees i know how to talk to him and i know i or but also as you listen to people who have differing opinions you learn so much and i don't mean listen to reply but like really listen and try to get in their headspace I'm like what why do they think what they're thinking is the right thinking because they're not dumb you mm -hmm. know they probably have a good reason to think that they're right so let me let me like give them the respect enough to to hear their viewpoint and, and give them benefit of the doubt that it could be right mm -hmm. you know and then if you don't change your mind, at least you get to the point where like, I understand a little bit more where you're coming from. And then you, yeah. you're giving them the dignity that they deserve as a human because mm. you're seeing them for the person and not just like a talking point. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. So good. I think we, um, we need to change I, I our just, camera uh, battery. Real fast. Yeah. Um, we're going to change our battery real quick. Um, you, it doesn't okay. affect the call. I just got to go over there. Yeah. Okay. On that note, I have to, <laughs> I'm sorry to, 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 to bring it up, but, I have to go in like a minute. Okay, yeah, that's all um, good. We'll so, skip it here then. Yeah. Yeah, cut yeah. everything I just um, said out. Yeah, we're not gonna change the battery. <laughs> okay, cool. Is there yeah. anything you wanna say? Uh, yeah.
I, I'm sorry that I couldn't have stayed longer. Because uh, this definitely merits a lot of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I love what you guys have had to say. And again, thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. We always love having you on and I'm sure we'll love to have you on again soon. If you ever have more theses that you're bringing up and you're writing papers on, we love to have you on or to have more ideas. We love having repeating guests because it kind of gets the discourse going like a little easier. Um, so yeah, we love to have you on again. we get to be better, become better friends. Yeah. And so if we ever see yes. each other in real life, we'll be like, yo, what's up? <laughs> John. Yeah. Sweet. So, John, thank you again for coming on. Everybody, you can check him out on TikTok, on Instagram. Uh, can people watch your um, when you presented the thesis anywhere, or is that not live? No. Oh, bummer. But there, there is the. I do have the thesis, which hmm. I'll figure out how to get to y'all. I, I don't know if you because it's like a PDF. Yeah. But do you have um, our email? Yeah. Or you could just send it on Instagram too. I don't know if you can send attachments that way. Oh yeah, I could. I could do that or through email. Yeah. 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 And we can just offer that if you want to anyone who's listening, who wants to get it. Is that all right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. That would be yeah. Well, so you guys can find uh, John's thesis down in the description for a small price of sixty five ninety nine. It'll help him pay for school and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We won't get any of the money. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to, we'll figure out how to get that to you guys, whether for free or not, yeah. depending on. And where can people find you on, uh, on TikTok? <laughs> Uh, on TikTok, uh, at YoChanan Activist. There we so go. That's Y O C H A N A N underscore activist. Cool. Mm-hmm. There yeah. we go. Right on. Well, guys, thanks for joining us for another episode. Um, as you engage with your friends on these political conversations, remember to mm. listen, to understand, and treat them with the dignity that Christ treats us. Treats mm. us. And be blessed. See you next week.